Good morning. Our call to worship is actually printed in the bulletin. It is a responsive reading. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. And let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day of rest and celebration with which you have blessed us, that we may rest in Christ, knowing that he has truly secured our salvation and is our good shepherd. He claims us as his own. He cares for us, protects us, and continually intercedes for us. We gather this day with all your people to celebrate this rest that is marked by his victorious resurrection over death and evil, and has been realized in us through the work of your Holy Spirit. May our worship this day be pleasing to you, Father. Through your Son, forgive our sin and weakness, for you are truly holy, and we certainly are not. Through your Spirit, center our thoughts and hearts on your worship and praise, for which you alone are worthy. Bless and lift our fellowship here this morning to join the host of heaven in praise of your glorious holy name. Reassure us in your steadfast love and teach us to love you as we should. Help us to grow in faith and in our thoughts and lives. Transform us, refresh, renew, and sanctify us this day as we long for the day when we shall put off corruption and the cares of this world, and shall see your glories face to face. Help us serve you this day and every day without distraction, as our joyful duty, and with grateful hearts. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Our hymn is number 64. God the Lord, a King remaineth.
seated. When we approach a holy God, we are reminded of our sin and our need for uh, Christ as, our, as, our, as the ground of our salvation. So it's always appropriate that we, as we initiate our worship, to begin with a prayer of confession as we reflect on that reality. So with that, let us pray together the prayer of confession printed in the bulletin. Most merciful God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we confess that we have sinned in thought, word, and deed. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have loved ourselves most of all. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us to amend what we are and direct what we shall be, that we may do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you, our God. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. Uh, this morning it comes from 1 John chapter 1. Listen to God's word. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, hear again the good news of the gospel, that Christ Jesus is the ground of our salvation. It is because of his completed work we have forgiveness of sins, and it is his sure promise that we can know that we are truly forgiven. And then we respond together saying, Praise be to God. Our call to grateful obedience comes then from Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, for this is God's will for you in Christ. And let us say together, Amen. Amen. Our hymn is number 488, Remember Not, O God.
please be seated. Our Heavenly Father calls us to pray, to pray for the world, to pray for the lost, to pray for each other, to pray for our own needs of uh, various kinds. So let us now join Christ in interceding for us in our prayer of intercession. Gracious Heavenly Father, who powerfully and mercifully rules your creation, despite man's rebellious attempt at autonomy, you govern in majesty and righteousness and justice. We gratefully acknowledge that you restrain the evil of men, and so we pray for peace in the world, especially for the end of war in Ukraine, for stability in our cities, and um, in the Middle East as well. In our own country, we pray for the safety, security, and well-being of our citizens, that the lawlessness in some of our cities would be brought to an end. We pray for wisdom, integrity, and diligence in our government, in the White House, in Congress, and in the courts. We pray for the advancement of your kingdom in the world. Where your people are persecuted, may the gospel bear fruit and their number multiply. And in the increasingly hostile climate, of the culture toward our faith and toward the church, we pray that your church would be a witness to the love and mercy and power for hope embodied in Christ Jesus. We pray for our OPC mission in Haiti. We pray that the seminary in Uganda would be a place where many generations of men would be well prepared for the gospel ministry. More nearer home, we thank you that both Oakland Hills Church and Pilgrim OPC in Metamora have found pastors to lead their congregations. We pray for our friends in the PCA at Knox Church on the east side of the city of the metro area, New City in Ferndale, Redeemer in Midtown Detroit, and their church plant in Sterling Heights. We pray for the planting of churches in the metro area and for the advancement of your kingdom here. We also pray for our own ministry in the Oakland County Jail, that that would be able to resume with the opening of the jail for such visiting. Lord, in our utter dependence on you, we uh, call to you for care, for relief, We think of the flooding in Kentucky in the last week or so 
and the uh, resulting loss. We pray that relief efforts would be successful and um, people would be restored and comforted there. Recognizing your tender care of us, we pray for the well-being and comfort of those who face health challenges. We pray for Jeff, Fawn, Terry, Caleb, Shirley, Becky, Jamie's mother, Shelley's father, Mark's mother, for Michael's father. We pray for those, sustain those who are caring for ill and aging parents. Lord, we bring these prayers to you with confidence in your love and power as so wonderfully embodied by our Savior, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power and the glory forever. Amen. If the ushers would now come forward and collect the offering.
And now we come to that place in our worship where we hear God's word read and preached. So we'll pray our prayer for illumination. Please pray. Uh, Let us pray. Father in heaven, what a gift your word is to us, especially as it is embodied in Christ, points us to him. We pray that you would open our hearts with this light that is your word, your gospel, that it would not only illumine our hearts, but open and soften them, that we receive, acknowledge, and humbly receive our need for your care, and that it would open our hearts to others as well. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As Reverend Gonzalez will be reading the Old Testament reading, which will be the text for the sermon, We'll go directly to the Psalter, printed in the bulletin. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Or let your holy one see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. For our epistle reading, we will turn to 1 Peter. Chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And our gospel reading, the gospel of John, chapter 10, beginning in verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The word of the Lord. Good morning. It's a delight once again to be with you. Um, As many of you know, I've been uh, 
providing pulpit supply every Sunday for the Pilgrim OPC Church in Metamora since August. And now when they have called their next pastor, it's a, it's a great delight for them to be able to have a, a pastor serving them. Uh, when I was contacted by uh, Jeff uh, to preach, um, I'm, I still have to preach the first Sunday of every month at Pilgrim until David Bonner, the new pastor, completes his ordination exams. Uh, so I still have to administer the Lord's Supper. So when Jeff called, I thought, oh, no, you know, the first Sunday. So uh, we worked it out so that I'm at Pilgrim next Sunday and would be able to be here with you uh, this Lord's Day. So it's a great delight to be able to, to worship the Lord together with you. My wife, Angie, sends greetings. Um, unfortunately, as some of you might remember, she's just not una- she's unable to attend physically and worship. But uh, she sends her greetings to you. Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles now to the Old Testament. We'll be in Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah 53. While you're turning there, let me just say that, as probably many of you know, America is fascinated with superheroes. (laughs) We all want someone that we can believe in, someone who has the power and charisma to deliver us all out of all of our problems and all of our struggles. Whether it's the Duke, that's John Wayne for you younger people here, or whether it's Captain Kirk or Dirty Harry or Stan Lee's Spider-Man or Doctor Strange or Iron Man. It's easy to believe in them. They appear invincible. They're powerful. They're charismatic. That's how we've come to expect our superheroes to be, is it not? And so when we read Isaiah's portrayal of the Messiah, well, it just doesn't doesn't fit into what we've come to expect. By Isaiah's rhetorical question at the very beginning of the passage that I'm going to read, it appears that few people actually believed in the Messiah. But you and I need this passage to remind us that deliverance from all of our problems comes not in the big and the flashy, but in the one who is a suffering servant. Verse 1, Isaiah chapter 53, pay close attention to the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Who has believed What he has heard from us. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces... He was despised, we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Let's pray one more time. Our gracious God, as we come to your word this morning, We pray that you might speak to us through it, right where we are, young or old alike, healthy or infirmed. We pray that you would comfort us and encourage us as we learn, even through the pages of Scripture, the Old Testament account, that we might see Jesus and we might be encouraged and strengthened by not only him, but the work that he has done on our behalf. And so we come with fresh eyes, with hearts that are eager and hungry for your word, that you might transform us, that we would leave this place having been changed. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. What uh, ended with cheers began with booze, boo, boo. When San Francisco 49ers quarterback Joe Cool Montana, remember Montana the quarterback? When he announced his retirement in 1995, over 20,000 fans filled the downtown area to honor his historic achievements. John Madden told the crowd, this is the greatest quarterback that has ever played the game. When Bill Walsh, Montana's longtime coach, was at the microphone, there was a fan that yelled out, We love you, Joe! We love you! But Walsh knew that this hadn't always been the case. Walsh told the crowd on that day, You weren't saying that back in 1979. You were saying, Where did you get this guy who looks like a Swedish place kicker? Montana was a third-round draft pick out of Notre Dame. Scouts said that he had a weak arm. He was skinny. He didn't look like most football players. 
And I remember in high school, before school started, a bunch of us uh, who loved football would talk, and we're just amazed that why would San Francisco pick this guy? We didn't care because growing up in northern Indiana, we were Chicago Bear fans. (laughs) But when Montana stepped on the field, something changed. He threw passes with perfect timing. He was the master of the two-minute drill. He went on to win four Super Bowls, making the 49ers the dominant team, not the Bears, in the 1980s. Montana was at first very unimpressive to many people, but he became one of the greatest. For many people in Isaiah's day and in our day today, The Messiah appears unimpressive by worldly standards. His life was characterized by suffering, by rejection. He had no majestic or magnetic appeal that any would be attracted to him or desire him. He was one who was looked upon with pity. His grave was with the wicked. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter, and he didn't say a word. When the world looks at Jesus, this is who they see, a weak and helpless, albeit a good man whose story is simply tragic. They can't see anything else. But for those to whom the arm of the Lord has been revealed, according to Isaiah, A very different Messiah or deliverer emerges. Isaiah's suffering servant points us to Christ. It points us to the Messiah, who through his suffering is our only mediator, our substitute, and our conqueror. Our mediator, substitute, and conqueror. That's who Isaiah wants us to see in Isaiah 53 this morning. He is your mediator. He can only be your mediator. The suffering servant men despise and reject is also the one who makes intercession for many. Look at verse 12, if you will, of our passage. Isaiah 53, verse 12. Notice there at the very end, it says, Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Here we see his work on our behalf as a mediator. You know, one of the most painful effects of sin is that it separates us from God. Adam and Eve knew this firsthand. They knew of this pain in the garden. As soon as they sinned, there was a breach in their intimate friendship with God, and they felt it. Their original righteousness had been lost. They could no longer walk with God in the cool of the day. They felt overwhelmed with the urge to run and hide. That's what sin does. It makes you want to hide. They felt shame for the first time. They were alienated from God by their sin. And in the end, they had to be banished from the garden altogether. You know... Their experience has been ours ever since. 
They could no more remove their alienation any more than you and I can remove that alienation that we feel between us and between God. We need a mediator who alone is qualified, who is the only one who can remove this alienation. And Isaiah's suffering servant is that one. He is the mediator. He alone can remove that alienation that separates us from God. He is God's perfect man, and he is man's perfect God. He alone is able to make intercession for the transgressors. For anyone, for any of us, who think that they can enter the presence of a holy God without a mediator appearing first on their behalf is foolish and dangerous. And yet, there are many who live under that assumption, are there not? They think their righteousness, although not perfect, they will admit, is somehow and in some way good enough. Their sin, after all, is not really that bad. Person down the street, that's a different story. My sin isn't that bad. But you can't be your own mediator. Neither can angels mediate for you. People cannot mediate for you. Mom and dad cannot be your mediator before God. It's like representing a murderer before a judge when you yourself just murdered someone. It doesn't work. You have too much of your own personal sin to be an effective mediator between a holy God and sinful people. The only mediator that God will accept is a man who is personally sinless. Jesus the Messiah is that man. He is the Lord's servant. He is the suffering servant of Isaiah's prophecy. And this is why we get so much pushback about Jesus. They think he's a good man in the world, but when we talk about the claims that he has on our lives, they push back. The world despises him. Why? Because his perfection, his Holiness exposes our imperfections. It shows us who we really are before God. Not before our neighbor, but before a holy and righteous God. But to those whom the arm of the Lord has been revealed, he is their only hope of deliverance. He is their and our only mediator. If If he is your mediator, and if you're here today and he's your mediator, you can rest assured that he mediates effectively before God on your behalf 100% of the time with no slip-ups, no mistakes. He's never been ineffective. He's never been insufficient. That means that you will never again be alienated from God if Jesus is your mediator. You will never be alienated from him. But what does this mediator do with our sin? He's got to do something with our sin. If he makes intercession for us, if he is our mediator, does he just sweep the sin under the carpet and wink a few times and uh, don't worry about it? There would be no just judge in the land if... 
that's how justice was carried out. No, what he does is the most remarkable thing. The suffering servant, our mediator, takes our sin upon himself and becomes our substitute in our place. He takes it upon himself. If you look at verses 4 through 6, and then also in verse 11, you will notice something of a stark contrast. Surely, verse 4, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And then on and on. There is a sharp contrast in these verses here between the one who is righteous and the one and the many who are burdened and carrying their own sin. What a sharp contrast. And the Hebrew is very graphic in this. Very sharp contrast. The righteous one bears our sin in his body. He takes what belongs to you and me, that is our sin, our guilt before a holy God, our infirmities, our sorrows. He takes all of them upon himself. Isaiah puts it very well and very visually, graphically, so that we might be able to see it. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him... The sin of us all. God has taken my sin and placed them on our substitute, the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ. That means for you and me, Monday morning or Tuesday or Wednesday or whenever, on good days and bad days alike, that I will never experience, even for a moment, God's punishment on my life. Jesus is my substitute. When trials and hardships fill my space, I must never at any time interpret these as God somehow getting back at me for something that I've done. That also means that when I dirty my hands with sin... I do not need to work those sins off because I have a substitute who already did all that was necessary. Because I have a substitute who bore my sins, I am now motivated to say no when I am staring sin and the temptation of sin squarely in my face. I have a new motivation. I have a new desire. Because Jesus died for every one of my sins. There is not a sin you can commit that hasn't been atoned for by the substitute. Jesus is your substitute. Why would you not want him as your substitute when he's taken all of our sins upon himself in our place? But there's more good news that Isaiah doesn't want to leave us in the dark about. Not only does the substitute take our sin upon himself, but he also takes, he also imputes his perfect righteousness to our account. In verse 11, if you look at that passage briefly here, you will notice about midway through uh, that the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. 
The word accounted here in the original language carries with it it, uh, a forensic meaning. What I mean is that the righteousness needed to be righteous or justified before the law is not an infused righteousness that God gives us. It's sort of like a seed of righteousness that he puts in us so that we grow ourselves. Um, Yesterday I was uh, smoking a brisket. And I have one of these uh, Weber uh, Smoky Mountain uh, smokers. And uh, I had rendered the fat because I had a brisket that was untrimmed. And so I actually trimmed it and I took the fat and cut it in small pieces and then rendered the fat out of that. And then I filled my injection needle or uh, syringe with it and I injected uh, the meat and I infused the the meat with the, the, the juices of the fat at about 100 degrees, when the meat registered about 100 degrees. It, it flavored the entire meat in the cooking process. God doesn't give us his son's righteousness to infuse us with the ability to become righteous in God's sight. No, that's not how God works in the scriptures. He imputes the righteousness of his son to our account. And on this basis alone, God declares us fully righteous in his sight, but only for the righteousness of Christ imputed or deposited into our, into our lives when we receive Christ by faith alone. Not faith in works, but faith alone in what he's done. He considers me fully righteous. As a Christian, I must never think of myself as becoming righteous. I am as righteous as my substitute is righteous. Even on those times, and it's every day, even when we sin, we are as righteous in God's eyes as his son is. You think about that. You mull over that in your mind and you think about that when you're facing temptation. That I am as righteous as my Savior, my substitute, who took my sin onto his own body. You see, rules and laws are good and necessary. They can restrain evil, but it does nothing to our desires. But God's grace changes our inward desires to make us want to say no to sin. It makes us, every time we take one look at sin... It makes us want to take ten looks at Christ as a powerful deterrent to say no because of what Christ has done for us. He is my, he is your substitute. Martin Luther calls this an alien righteousness that lies completely outside of ourselves. It's received by faith alone in Christ alone. Isaiah shows us that we must believe in the one who alone can exchange our sin and our guilt for his righteousness. Only the mediator, only our substitute can do that and bring us peace with God. We can't clean up our life and expect God for us to be at peace with God. Only Christ can do that. What is true in Isaiah's day is no less true in our day. We love to think that we can take care of our own problems. We don't uh, need anyone else to fix them. 
We're self-sufficient, self-made people. We're conditioned to think this way in America. We're conditioned to think this way in the classrooms and sadly even in our own churches. I was watching this past week uh, the new Marvel movie, uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse, and at the very end of the movie, he says something, Doctor Strange says something that really capture, captured my thought, my attention. He, he looked out over what was happening. He says, I thought that I could, um, I could um, save the world and that, that it would bring happiness in my life, but it hasn't. Only Christ, only Christ alone can do what we cannot do in our own effort and leave us with joy and happiness that the world knows not of when we look to him. Isaiah shows us in our passage that we are far more dependent on God than we might think. Living in America, the suffering servant does for us what we could never do for ourselves. He takes that which alienates us from God and unites us to himself. Our help comes from that which is entirely outside of our own abilities, our own mental capacity, our own strength. Deliverance comes not from the strength of the legs of people or in the power of mighty horses, as the psalmist says, but our deliverance comes from God alone. If that doesn't attack our pride, I don't know what does. It's not surprising that people find nothing attractive in the suffering servant. Jesus would not make the roster of today's superheroes. But for those to whom the arm of the Lord is revealed, there is no other mediator, there is no other substitute that will do. The suffering servant is our only hope. But not only is he a mediator for us, that Isaiah shows, not only is he a, um, a substitute for us, but Isaiah shows something that might surprise many people. Our suffering servant is also a conqueror. If you look at verse 10 of our passage, um, after the first section, it says, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. He shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. That verse tells us that the suffering servant will see his offspring. Those whose sins have been laid on him. They are the many whom the Lord accounts righteous and makes intercession for. In verse 12 of our passage. They're the same ones for whom the great shepherd in John chapter 10 laid down his life. And they're the ones who the Lord will share the fruit of his conquest in verse 12 of our passage this morning. But I want you to notice something quite interesting in verse 7. Notice that, and I'm not sure if you caught it when you heard the reading of it, but Isaiah uses the phrase, he did not open his mouth Two times. Whenever you see something like that, you need to ask yourself, well, why did he emphasize that? What purpose does it serve? Well, when Israel was under Egypt's slavery, they opened their mouth and they cried out to the Lord for mercy and with complaints. And of course, when the Lord delivered them, they still opened their mouth with complaints against God. 
You know, we want to go back to Egypt where it's warm, safe, and secure. As I think, remember Keith Green, he sang that song, so you want to go back to Egypt. But the suffering servant didn't open his mouth, neither before Pilate nor before those who crucified him. He didn't open his mouth because he went voluntarily to the cross and he gave up his spirit. The scriptures tell us that the Lord gave up his spirit. It was something that he voluntarily did in obedience to his father's will. His death was not in the hands of wicked men, but rather in the Lord's hand, according to verse 10. Did verse 10 trouble you a little bit? When you heard it read, did it catch you off guard? Where we read, yet it was the will of the Lord, yet it was the will of Yahweh, it was the will of God to crush the Messiah. It was God's doing that enables you to go free from the bondage of sin and death. The word will also means pleasure in the Hebrew. It can be used interchangeably here in our passage. It was the Lord's pleasure to crush or bruise his own son. And you scratch your head and say, wait a minute. That doesn't seem to make sense. At least that's not what I think about when I think about God. Is he like that? But it's right here in our passage. It's right here in God's word. It was the pleasure of the Lord to crush or bruise his own son, not because he took some strange delight in watching his son suffer. Something that we think about with the word pleasure and we associate it with today. No, it's what the suffering servant would accomplish through being crushed and bearing grief on our behalf. It's the outcome. It's the results that brought Yahweh pleasure. That's why it was his will to crush the son. The bruising of the son on the cross gave way to the empty tomb. Death couldn't hold your savior in the assigned grave. He conquered sin and the grave for you. He conquers and defends his own against Satan's attacks. You are his child. You are dearly loved. And you are protected by him. You should never fear even for one moment. When everything around you turns into chaos. When your life, your entire life somehow goes south. Whether you're young. And things don't go so well this coming year at school. Or whether you're elderly and you receive a diagnosis of cancer. You should never fear for one moment that the Lord himself will abandon you. For just as soon as he would abandon you, he would be disobeying his father's will. I will never, no, never leave you or forsake you, is the Lord's promise. The suffering servant as our conqueror means that I don't have to give up in the face of so-called besetting sins. And say, well, that's just the way that I am. I tell you, you're not. That's a lie. You don't live in defeat, but you live in victory. Because your faithful Savior broke the chains of sin 
that bound you. My dear friends, the reason that we give in to sin so easily is because we have forgotten that we actually have a conqueror fighting for us. The thought, that is the thought of Christ being our conqueror, doesn't fill our minds at the moment of temptation. We have to find some way to have that thought fill our minds. Every day, every moment of our life, to know that he fights for us. I mean, Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul talks about the full armor of God, he's, God has already donned us with his full armor. The full armor of Christ. We already have it on us. There is nothing lacking, nothing insufficient on the full armor that God has given to us. We already have all the pieces of that armor. And so instead of looking at the fiery darts that are whirling at you, weakening your knees. Instead, through the helmet of your salvation, through the eye openings, look at your Savior's eyes. And hear him say to you, steady. Steady now. Steady. And you will hear those darts ricocheting off the armor that is protecting you. And you will be amazed at just how great your deliverer really is. We don't need the superheroes of today. When we have the suffering servant as our mediator, as our substitute, and our conqueror. And one day, all the so-called superheroes will bow at the feet of the one who holds the world in his hands. If you were to walk into the front entrance of the RCA building on Fifth Avenue in New York City, you will see a gigantic statue of Atlas. A beautifully proportioned man who, with all of his muscles straining, is holding the world. On his shoulders. There he is, the most powerful superhero, if you will, in the world, and he can barely stand under its burden. But if you were to cross the street of Fifth Avenue and go over into St. Patrick's Cathedral and there walk into the sanctuary, there behind the high altar is a little shrine of the boy Jesus, perhaps eight or nine years old. And with no effort whatsoever, he is holding the world in one hand. Behold, your mediator, your substitute, and your conqueror, the suffering servant who is your Savior. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful to be reminded of Isaiah's prophecy for us, for his prophecy is our reality today, that we have a Savior who doesn't look like the superheroes of this world, but one who is far greater than any of them and all of them put together. Teach us each and every day to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we recite our faith in preparation for the Lord's Supper.
You'll find it printed for you in your bulletin in the early 4th century. This confession was penned to show the reality of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that the Son is truly God himself. And so, people of God, what is it that you truly believe? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, and we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church, we acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. How can we not help but sing of our great Redeemer? As we turn to hymn number 650, I will sing of my Redeemer. Hymn number 650.
precious me on the cross he sealed my pardon paid the debt and made me free sing of my redeemer and his heavenly love to me
before God, confessing Christ as your Savior, then you'll find no benefit in this table for you. You've not the faith that needs to be nourished. In fact, the Apostle Paul goes even further and says if you come to this table and participate and you don't belong to Christ, you will be eating and drinking judgment upon yourself. Paul warns anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon themselves. This also applies to you even if you are a member of this or any other gospel church, but you're living with unconfessed sin. You know it. You know that you are living in rebellion against God. You're holding before the Lord a sin where His payment for that sin seems to mean nothing to you. Do not come. Let the elements pass by instead. Some of you may be covenant children here. If you belong to the Lord by virtue of your birth to believing parents, and you long to participate in this supper because the meaning of the Lord's Supper compels you that you want to partake, not simply because you don't want to be left out or that you want to do what others are doing and not feel like you're missing out on something, but truly you desire that fellowship with Christ and the need that you have to be strengthened and encouraged by Him. If that is percolating in your spirit, if you find yourself longing for Christ, then talk with your parents. Tell your parents what's happening inside of you. And your parents, along with you, will go to the elders of this church and make profession of faith so that you can become communicant members of the church. Then you will be able to enjoy the benefits of this table. And so, dear friends, let us prepare for this intimate fellowship with the Lord that is a foretaste of what we will enjoy with the Lord for all eternity. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give Him thanks and praise. It is indeed right and a good and joyful thing, Lord, as we come to you this morning. All glory and honor are yours, Almighty God, now and forevermore. And together we say, Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after supper, our Savior took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many. Do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread... And drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray one more time. Father, we ask that you might take these elements, these commonly used elements, and use them for their spiritually intended purpose to strengthen us in our faith. That they might be a means of grace, reminding us that we belong to Christ and no other. And that he was, is with us, strengthening and encouraging us as we are pilgrims in this weary world. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
body of the Lord given for us as we prepare to take, remembering the words of Peter, he himself bore our sins in his body so that we might die of sin and live for righteousness. The body of the Lord given for you, take and eat. Supper, our Savior took the cup and said, This is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Remembering what John said when he wrote, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The cup of the Lord given for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for being with us this morning, for encouraging us when we are so easily given into discouragement, when the sights and sounds around us seem to not cater to what encourages us. And yet we know that deep inside you have loved us with an everlasting love, and that you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. Because you are our mediator, you are our great substitute, and you are our conqueror. And so help us, O oh Lord, to renew our covenant vows, our promises that we made to you, that we might serve you in renewed obedience. Not just this afternoon, not just on Sunday, but tomorrow morning when we wake up for our various jobs, school, or activities. We might live for you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we conclude our service, we're going to sing hymn number 263, Lift High the Cross. A very regal hymn. Lift High the Cross, 263. Yeah.
look up and receive God's kiss upon your life. And now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to God our only Savior, to whom be glory and majesty both now and forevermore. Amen. Once again, we thank Steve Gonzalez for uh, joining us this morning and, and preaching uh, God's word to us. Uh, he's a dear friend of this congregation, and he's a very gracious man. Um, I don't know if you, well, I noticed this morning when we were preparing for worship that out of his kindness and graciousness, he was thinking of me because on his shirt, he had his initials. Uh, on his shirt, uh, SG, and I thought that was very thoughtful of him, in a, in not, to, not to embarrass me or call me out or anything like that, but merely to remind me 
that his last name was indeed not Fernandez, but Gonzalez. So I very much appreciated that. So um, in any event, uh, in terms of announcements, I, I recall a conversation with my wife this morning uh, around women's Bible study. Are we meeting? Are, are the women meeting at your place on Thursday? Yes. Yes. It's not in the bulletin that way. So the women's uh, prayer meeting will be meeting at, at the Roberts and uh, this Thursday. So just be aware of that. And uh, I don't know if there's any other announcements that I would draw from the life together. Um, Deneen? I had a text from Shirley before worship. Um, Eduardo cracked one of his front teeth last night, and the whole thing fell out. So the great mother is trying to get in tomorrow. Um, she can't drive yet, so... Um, yeah, so just pray for them. Okay, yeah, be in prayer for Eduardo. Apparently he uh, cracked his tooth uh, last night and the whole thing fell out. Uh, and they're trying to get to the dentist tomorrow, um, but uh, Shirley can't drive yet because of her health issues as well. So uh, I don't know if someone could reach out to them and help out with uh, travel arrangements or not for, for that. Um, but in any event, um, please uh, keep them in your prayer. Um, the uh, only other thing is just to remember, uh, remind you that today is our fellowship meal. And so uh, for those of you who are visiting, we'd love to have you stay and, and, and get to know you and have you get to know us and, uh, and join us for a time of fellowship and, and food. So if there's nothing else, uh, Chaz. Real quick, tomorrow is like the start, really kind of the start of the high school year, sports seasons uh, for MSLA start tomorrow. Um, and uh, I guess in light of, um, talked a lot lately about the decline of, uh, I guess not just, not just Christian value for Christianity, but sort of the depopularization of Christianity, uh, I would just ask you to pray specifically for me, but just for um, for Christian coaches and teachers and students, uh, we're going back to the battlefield tomorrow, and uh, we would be strengthened in our effort to stand up for what we know to be true. Um, not even necessarily being able to, to share it, but not being uh, crushed under the weight of popular opinion. Yeah. Um, so, for those of you who are watching, uh, Chaz Klaus was asking for prayer as, he, as the school year is starting up, and uh, it is increasingly hostile towards Christians in that, in the, in that environment, and so uh, please keep uh, all teachers and Christian teachers in your prayers as they are working in that, in that area, in that, in that growing hostility. And students, too. And students, Christian students, too. Maybe, maybe yes, especially for the students, because they're their faith is not maybe as matured and, and strong uh, as it needs to be in terms of the things that they will be facing. Uh, if there is nothing else, we will go ahead and dismiss. Thank you.